Proverbs is just about the center of the Old Testament, just after the Psalms. And we are in chapter 1. We looked last time at the first seven verses of Proverbs 1 on the importance of knowledge. And now we'll look at the rest of chapter 1 about the appeal of wisdom. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy, inerrant Word. The Word of the Lord is completely without error. The Word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the Word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like shale, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you have refused to listen have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. 
Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask, O Lord, that You would make us aware of Your wisdom, of the truth that You give to us, and of the One who is wisdom Himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the title for tonight's sermon is The Appeal of Wisdom. And this is one of those words that can have two meanings. There is an appeal to wisdom. It is appealing. It is something that is helpful, that is good for us. But because wisdom is not something detached from God and from His Word, there is also an appeal that is a a plea, a pressing of the claims of wisdom upon our lives. The interesting thing is, is that so often we're not interested in wisdom. As parents, we look at our young people, especially as they grow into their teen years, and we wonder why they won't take the good, solid advice we give to them. And then... Somehow, it escapes our notice when we, who are older, don't want the advice of others on things that we're doing or the way that we should be living our life. You see, there is a sense in which we think we already are wise. But wisdom is something that we can never have too much of because wisdom is related to, is found, in God. And so this evening I'd like us to see two things from this text about wisdom. First, we will see that wisdom is needed in a dangerous world. We live in a world that is dangerous. and Wisdom is needed. The second thing we will see is that wisdom is available in a dangerous world. It is something that God makes available to us that He calls upon us to avail ourselves of wisdom that is needed and wisdom that is available in a dangerous world. Well, let's begin then by looking at verse 8, and we see the appeal of wisdom, and it is a very straightforward appeal and invitation. It begins, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And that first word doesn't quite do justice just on the written page. We'd have to color it a bit. Hey, listen up. Pay attention. And do what I'm saying. You understand what I'm talking about? That's how perhaps some of my relatives would put it. And when someone spoke to me in that tone of voice, it really wasn't an option. It was something that was just put before me And I'd better listen and listen good. That's what is being said here. This is, of course, the same word that begins the famous doxology, the famous formulation of Israel, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Well, there's no option there. God is who He is. We are to hear it and believe it. It is an urgent Notice that expects compliance. It's as direct as it can be, which is interesting 
Because I think when we think of wisdom, we don't think of a direct and straightforward command. We think of lofty, abstract analysis of people sitting in easy chairs and thinking grand thoughts and speaking in ways that we can't really understand and and hoping to somehow be made aware of. When we think of wisdom, I think we have the wrong impression. We think of some kind of graduate class in a school of philosophy where people philosophize together. And we wonder if it has any practical meaning. No, here, wisdom makes a straightforward appeal. There is no flash. There is nothing overtly exciting about it. It is an appeal right to our persons. And that's because wisdom doesn't come from an abstract principle. Wisdom comes from love, doesn't it? Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Not, hear, oh student, some interesting facts that will help you to get higher test scores. No. Hear, my son, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. A father and a mother who love you, who want the best for you, who want to keep you from pain and anguish and harm. Listen to them. Father wants to give you His experience and His life. Mother wants you to go in the right direction. That's really what this means. Her teaching is a pointing in the right direction. There is a wisdom that comes from love. This is as important for us to realize in our daily life as it is in the pages of the Bible. For you see, it is true that parents want the best for us. That doesn't mean they're always right, but they do want the best for us. And this doesn't change when we go from being 15 to being 25 to being 55. They still want to impart their wisdom to us. And you see, wisdom has benefits that are clear and obvious to us. They are a graceful garland For your head, Proverbs says. That is, wisdom produces qualities that are attractive in us. They make us pleasant and liked by others. They are graceful. But they also give us the ability to exercise leadership and authority. To know what is the right way to go. When we think of a garland, we think of a victor's crown that goes upon our heads. Someone who is worthy of respect. This is what wisdom does. It actually adorns all of life. It makes all of life better because it builds up in us qualities for others to see and for us to enjoy. It is a straightforward appeal in a dangerous world. Because you see, wisdom is needed because there are numerous enticements to sin. In verse 10, we see this. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. The Proverbs are very realistic. We live in a fallen world. Dangers will come. Now notice here the realism of the parent. If sinners entice you, do not consent. It would be easy as a parent to say, well, my my son won't be around sinners. 
I've taught him better than that. Oh, oh, and even if he comes across one, there's no way he would ever go in with the sinners. I've taught him so well. I've given him a Bible. I've taught him God's Word. We've sung hymns together. I have asked him if he loves Jesus. He's safe forever. The wise parent knows the dangers are out there. And knowing the Scriptures, professing Jesus, even believing in Jesus doesn't make those dangers go away. We need warnings to be warned off of this kind of sin because there is an enticement. It comes from sinners. And sinners here in this context are rebels against authority. They are ones who rebel against God and they seek to aid and abet their rebellion by dragging others into them. So there is an enticement to sin. What is this enticement? Well, what do they say? Come on! Be a part of our group. Come on! We have a great plan. They won't know what's come up against them. Oh, and listen, we'll be like Blood brothers. We'll share everything. Share and share alike. This is the good face that's put on theft and murder and sin. But you see, we have to understand what's at root here of the enticement. Because if all we see is bloodshed and thievery, we will deny that anyone could be enticed by it. Deny that we could be enticed by it. Or our children But you see, what's really meant here are things that are very enticing to us. Excitement. Who doesn't like excitement? Who doesn't like explosions and noises? All kinds of fun. That's enticing, isn't it? That's what the sinners are selling. Power. Who doesn't want to be in control? Who doesn't want to call the shots? Who doesn't want to know that they are in charge of other people. That's what the sinners are enticing us here with. Excitement. Power. And one other thing. Acceptance. You see, it's buried there in the midst of the thievery and the bloodshed. There's an enticement that says, you can belong. You will be valued. We will place value on you. And you see, that's a real enticement. This is something that causes men, women, boys, girls, all of us to go aside in the way. It's the story of gangs, isn't it? Have you ever wondered why anyone in the modern American age would be a part of a gang? It's acceptance. They feel like they've been thrust out by the whole world. They feel like everyone is against them. And this is an opportunity to be in the inside, to be on the in crowd. And you see, it doesn't just happen in Compton or inner city Chicago. It happens here in Katy. It happens with your children. It happens with you at work. You want to be accepted. And you're willing to do just about anything for acceptance. It's enticing something that causes you to pause and think about. Because you see, the real danger of sin is that it camouflages itself as something of value. 
Excitement is good. It's good to have authority and power within their proper spheres. And we long for acceptance because that is good and right. That is the story of the Bible, that we could be accepted by God and made a part of His family. These are good things. And sin sets up a counterfeit of this, of things that we know we long after. Sin is dangerous in this. And there's a persistence to sin. It doesn't give up. You know, temptation is not so easy, is it? It doesn't come once and we say, no thank you, and then it leaves us alone for 25 years. No. It comes again the next day, doesn't it? And then it comes again the next day. And then it comes at us when we're tired. And when we're hungry. And when we're annoyed. This is what temptation does. There is a persistence to it and there is a contagious aspect to it. Sin is a contagion. As we experience sin, we want to make ourselves feel better by getting others to go along with us. You see, this is what rebels and sinners do. There's a danger to sin and a danger because destruction follows in its wake. Look at verse 18. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. You see, sin makes you blind to the destruction that is coming your way. It's found here in the way that this plan is unhatched. Who's the true loser here in Proverbs 1? It's the ones who are planning this plot, isn't it? They're planning a plot and they don't realize they're sowing the seeds of their own destruction. They're laying out a snare. and They're going to be caught in it. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. This is, in truth, the principle behind what our Lord says in Mark 8, verse 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Wisdom is needed in a dangerous world. Well, praise God that we do not have to search high and low for wisdom. Because wisdom is available to us in a dangerous world. It goes and cries aloud in the streets. I think sometimes we have a false view of how hard it is to get wisdom. We think it's impossible to find or to obtain, and that becomes an excuse. We have in our minds, as we think about wisdom, some kind of bad kung fu movie, where in order to get wisdom, we must climb a giant snow-capped mountain and go through a variety of tests, balancing sticks on our fingers, jumping over hot coals, and somehow, some way, we might make it to a little wise man who will give us a droplet of wisdom. But that's not the biblical view of wisdom. In the Scriptures we see in verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street. It's not a hidden treasure. It's looking for someone to instruct. 
It's found out in the everyday business of life. It cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. Everywhere that you go, wisdom can be found. It's available and open for all to see. It's not hiding in a corner. It's seeking you out, crying aloud. The truth of the matter is that as much as our society desires to suppress it, right and wrong are open and available for all to see in God's creation and in God's Word. We don't need gigantic ethical studies over simple matters. We shouldn't need a board of doctors and ethics to try and determine whether we should euthanize young children or euthanize old people or kill children in the womb. It should be easy to discern. It's found in God's Word. Wisdom is available, she cries aloud, and she goes after those who need her most. Look at this. She goes after the simple in verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? This refers to those who are naive, who think they know better, who just kind of walk blissfully through life from one thing to the next. And don't think they need any guidance. It's also the scoffers. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? Those who ridicule the righteous and ridicule God's wisdom. They need it most. And the fool. How long will the fools hate knowledge? Here the fool is one who is morally insensitive. The fool is not someone who is a bumbling idiot. The fool in the Bible probably has a Ph.D. He's someone who is morally insensitive, who does not care about right and wrong, who says in his heart, there is no God. Wisdom cries aloud and is available in this dangerous world, but the sad reality is, is that there is an all too often a refusal to listen. Look at verse 24. Because I have called you and you refuse to listen, I stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. You ignored my counsel. Because wisdom calls does not mean they will listen. Rejecting wisdom is rejecting God. And we see it all the time, don't we? If we're out and about in the world, it doesn't surprise us anymore. Perhaps you had the experience that many of us had as we first came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, first understood the gospel, first understood our need and our longing for Christ, and we went out and about excited to share the gospel because we couldn't imagine why anybody would not be thrilled to get on board. And then you experienced your first evangelistic Heisman. Get away from me. I don't need to talk to you about that. I don't need a crutch. What are you, simple-minded? You see, we know this just from our experience. That very, very many reject God. And they reject wisdom. And God knows this too, and He knows the foolishness of it. He laughs. Look at verse 26. 
Because you have rejected me, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. Now, this is not the heartless laugh of someone who is happy that bad things have happened to someone. No. It is laughter at the absurdity of it all. It's what happens in Psalm 2. He who sits in the heaven laughs at those who think they can rebel against the Son. You see, there is a certainty of error and destruction. Look at verse 27. When terror strikes you, when calamity comes, when distress and anguish come, three times it's repeated. It is certain. You see, God knows that it is absurd to reject wisdom. Because there are consequences to such a rejection. He says, there's going to come a day when it's too late. That then you're going to say, ooh, 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 give me some of the wisdom. Now I could use it. But you see, God says, then I will not hear. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? A forgiving God saying, you come to me, I won't hear you. But we have to understand the context. The one who comes to God in verse 28, who calls upon Him and He does not answer, seeks Him diligently, does not do it for the right motive. They still hate knowledge. They still do not want the counsel. They still do not want God. All they want is to escape the consequences of their own actions. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 7. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. You see, you cannot reject God. You cannot reject His wisdom. You cannot reject everything that is about Him and come and just think that you can find an escape hatch for your own sinful behavior. You see, then what will happen is they will begin to reap what they have sown. Verse 31. They shall eat the fruit of their way and have the fill of their own devices. They're going to get what they wanted to the full. After all, isn't that what hell is? giving rebellious sinners to the full what they wanted? Freedom from God. Being out of the presence of God. Not being under the authority of God. Not being under Jesus. That's what hell is. It's the consequences of that. This is deserved. They thought they were so smart. But the good news is that now is the time of warning, not destruction. You see, now is the time of verse 33. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. After all, wisdom now is coming to you. Crying in the streets. You need not face the consequences of sin. Whoever will listen 
can have wisdom. Will you have wisdom today? Wisdom desires to be heard. She cries aloud in the streets. She cries aloud for the sake of love to bring the children of God home. Let's pray.